Welcome to the ASCA Viewpoints Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Jill Creighton, your Viewpoints host. This week on the podcast, we bring you the second part of a two-part series where we walked around the ASCA annual conference and asked individuals for their reflections on the keynote speech given by Tim Wise, but also on intentional inclusion and climate and social justice in both the student conduct profession and in ASCA. So there are uh, five more people that are featured on last week's episode. So if you haven't gone back, please do so and take a listen to their voices. I also give a bit of an intro to the framing of these conversations in the previous episode. But today's episode will be our final in the series about those reflections. And next week, we'll be back with regular interviews. I hope you enjoy this episode. standing here with Omar Estrada Torres, who is the Assistant Vice President for Student Affairs at SUNY Old Westbury. And Omar has had a lot of leadership positions in our association over time. He's been our parliamentarian. He's been our East Region Chair. Uh, and so uh, Omar is going to share his thoughts on Tim Wise and DNI in our association. So for me, uh, given my involvement with the organization, I've, I, I found Tim Wise to be a delight from a couple of different angles. One, obviously he was, he did a great job incorporating his humor, mm-hmm. his ability to connect with the room. Sure. Um, his ability to flow and kind of keep the pace going with some of the dialogue, with some of his, again, him having a very one-way dialogue with an organization that, again, he wasn't necessarily a part of. He's not a practitioner. But being able to infuse what he's, the work that he's doing with the things that we do from a practical perspective. Um, but again, be able to add the humor, add the practical, add what we see day to day. But then to take it in from a very macro level and incorporate some of the difficulties of how we incorporate our, li- our day-to-day challenges and incorporate that into the micro of what we do and acknowledge that, yeah, this is going to be a very uncomfortable space because guess what? There are people in here who are uncomfortable every day. Mm -hmm. And let me identify what some of that challenge and uncomfortableness is. Um, I found that very refreshing. I appreciated it. Um, And I appreciated it knowing that I was probably sitting next to individuals who you could visibly see Mm -hmm. were pretty uncomfortable. And for me, I acknowledge, look, I'm not looking to make you even more uncomfortable than you are, but you may see me affirm, and you may see me attach with mm-hmm. his comments because I'm someone who deals with some of that challenge and difficulty and uncomfortableness every day. Sure. So I'm going to acknowledge I'm not trying to make this uncomfortable for you, but I'm going to acknowledge that if you're uncomfortable, we can find a way to build from this. And how do you feel like uh, Tim Wise's comments helped us have these ongoing conversations at the conference this week? I think for Tim particularly, and, and not to not to say that we haven't had keynotes who haven't opened up that door, I think he practically pushed through the floodgates. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I remember the keynote speaker from two years ago initially going through that particular perspective of trying to push that that kind of lead us to the entryway like here's the here's the barrel of water mm-hmm. we should be drinking from mm-hmm. and and really get comfortable with this no he said no the water is here it's been here and we if we don't like it we should just acknowledge that we don't like it and here's why i don't like it 
Um, so I think Tim provided some pretty uh, some pretty easy approaches to just generally finding a way to really not be comfortable with some of the uncomfortable emotion surrounding some of this and but approach it from a look I'm really trying to be genuine Mm -hmm. and letting you know that this is where I'm at Mm -hmm. and this is where I sit with this emotion this is what I carry on my shoulders or I wear on my face every day that you're going to see or not see and then translating that to student conduct and thinking about how some of that works with the students who whether we're adjudicating or not adjudicating them and how that may play out not just from a not just from an implicit support perspective but from an implicit bias perspective so thinking about some of the things I do on a practical level I think about the setting I'm in with some students I think about the title I don't want students referring to me as in my former capacity as Dean Torres because I wasn't always Dean Torres. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel comfortable calling me normal. And when I have a parent refer to me as Dr. Torres and I don't eventually have that title yet, but even if I had the doctor or the alphabet soup after my name, it's not about, I'm not looking for you to acknowledge me as Dr. Torres, I'm Omar. Mm-hmm. And extending my hand and allowing you that, and allowing you and embracing you in that opportunity for us to continue to converse. I really appreciate how you boiled down that to the practical about the systems of oppression that we have in our own workspaces in terms of... Absolutely. You know, if you refer to me as my title, then you're automatically othering yourself in a lot of ways um, and building more walls of power rather than tearing them down, which is what we're trying to do in our work. Absolutely. So knowing that, what work do you think we still have to do as an association uh, on DNI? and 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 as I've shared with others, I think for us, we have to continue to look at both the macro and the micro lens mm-hmm. of what we're doing. And again, from the micro, I think, again, looking at the, the Tim Wise opportunity and continuing to provide the venues, provide the room, to continue to challenge the conversation and to continue to provide that room for that space, um, both for people who are comfortable and and hopefully finding individuals who are comfortable being a catalyst for those conversations, but also intentionally inviting those who are uncomfortable with that conversation and hopefully bringing them some opportunities to kind of get comfortable with it. Um, And then looking at it from a macro, perspective really looking at our our organizational framework and really looking at global opportunities to really continue to push this along Um, both from those who are looking to engage from a volunteer perspective those who are looking to engage from a leadership level whether it's in the boardroom or whether it's attached to the events that we do or whether it's a way to um, engage in different forms whether it's the online webinars through phone calls and conference calls Um, really find ways to incorporate those pieces into that work. Excellent. Thank you so much for your thoughts, Amor. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm here with Raina Anaya, who is the Assistant Director for Community Standards and Conflict Resolution at the University of Northern Colorado, and she was also one of our contributors to the ASCA Diversity and Strategic Plan. Welcome, Raina. Hi, Jill. Thanks. So, Raina, I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your reactions and reflections to having Tim Wise kick off our conference. Yeah, so this is the first time that I've actually um, heard Tim Wise in person. I've definitely heard of many of his platforms that he speaks on. I think for me, I was cautious in approaching the conversation, just given 
knowing that it was going to center whiteness and also knowing that our organization needed it to center whiteness um, and we needed to have it be delivered by an individual that identified in the community. I think for me one of my biggest struggles um, with being intentional about this keynote is really also recognizing and honoring the fact that we've had individuals saying that, say the exact same things um, in previous years that have not identified as white. Definitely. So our folks of color, I remember my first session coming to ASCA and Vernon Wall spoke up there and mm -hmm. I was like, finally, I have actually felt included in this association and someone has actually talked about something other than, you know, this privileged kind of classist, whitest, whiteness, straightness, same all the, the isms, right? That I actually felt like I was seen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I struggled a bit. I, I thought the presentation was, went well. Um, the applications of how he was able to take his concept and apply it in real time was, was good and it allowed people to see it in different ways. And at the same time, I struggled. Um, because I know that people that look like me also do this work and they don't get the standing ovations and all the different things that, that Tim got that day. So that's kind of where I sit. So Raina, this being a podcast, people may not know how you identify. Can you share your identity? Yeah, so I identify as a straight uh, Chicana um, who is also female identified and cisgender um, and multiple other things, I guess, middle-class upbringing, so yeah. So I really appreciate you saying that you thought it was a message that we all needed to hear, but also a message that you struggled with a bit. Um, and, I, and I hear you saying that struggle was, was about previous representation and mm -hmm. possibly future representation. Right. What about your personal journey with the conversation? How did it have you struggle or sit in cognitive dissonance and where did it help you kind of lean in and go? Yeah, I mean, for me, I uh, value that I mean, I learn from every conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not about, you know, oh, I've heard this before and it's not applicable to me. It's more, um, you know, I tried to gain pieces and, you know, there were definitely pieces I pulled from his presentation. And at the same time, like, I also would like to have a little bit further and um, kind of more critical conversation about how equity inclusion really shows up in our space um, there are needs and places for foundations, just like Tim laid at the start of the conference. And there are also needed spaces for people that can actually advance the, the dialogue into further kind of critical conversations on not just, you know, how do we change our language, but like how do we create policy differently? How do we um, really dig into kind of our own self-work? And so even as some of the things that I heard today in the diversity inclusion committee with Katika and Jonathan was how do we talk a little bit more about this cultural humility and you know really dig into the self-work um, versus kind of being like oh that's not me that's a system um, and all those different pieces so I think there's a lot of work to, to do but you know I didn't leave empty-handed from the presentation by any means. What was the best nugget you took out of it? I think for me it was definitely pieces of how he was able to use examples. Um, I am always looking for ways to create more access for, for white folks, for particularly when we're talking about racism in, in our profession. Um, and at the same time, I think there, I appreciate that he was very intersectional in his conversation. 
for certain identities. Mm -hmm. So sexual orientation I saw a lot, um, gender identity I saw a lot, um, every once in a while social class, but didn't really dive into the ability stuff, didn't dive into generational, didn't dive into age. Um, and so I think there needs to be a little bit more support in that. Um, and I think the other big piece is the validation of just hearing the snaps and the applauses from other folks of color that were in this space with me, um, particularly since the focus was anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that for me is always nice when you know that there are people in the space that also validate and live your experiences as well. Excellent. So you mentioned a couple times that there's more work for the association to do. What are some of the areas where you think the association is struggling with <laughs> inclusion? A lot. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do. Given that we did the task force a couple years ago, um, we were talking today that we haven't really seen anything happen or come of that. Like mm -hmm. there hasn't been any report that's been pushed forward or any action items that have kind of been um, kind of put in place. Obviously in, in your presidency, you know, we've seen the needle move, right? By creating access for spaces in the boardroom or different positions where folks may, may not have even thought that they had the knowledge or, or the experience to really share kind of their perspectives and, and their, their knowledge about the field. And so I think that's happened. I think we need a little bit more focus around, and I mentioned this today, um, presenter expectations. Let's stop saying all this random shit up in front of everybody, right? Let's start using inclusive language. Stop using the word crazy. Stop being ableist and inviting people that use ableism as their platform to create comedy. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I know for myself, like, pronouns. I, I often found myself shocked um, that pronouns were not used by presenters if they felt comfortable to do so, or it wasn't even something that was introduced in the space. And I was really taken back by that. Um, there's tons of work to do. Um, I, I can't necessarily just name it in this like quick minute. And I, I think there are folks that are committed to really engage in the conversation and the work. Definitely. And what are some of the things that you think the association has done better at over the last couple of years? Listened. And I think we are done with listening. Um, we need to do mm -hmm. now. And we need to engage the people that have shared their stories um, and honor them in, in different ways. Um, because there's been a whole lot of, even at this, at this conference, a lot of listening sessions. And um, this is something that I feel like it's, an, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting how the process has just gone, I guess. Because we have the data. We, we know these experiences exist. We hear it every single year in the different summits that are occurring that folks don't feel included. Folks feel like, you know, there's a very big split amongst the association. Um, and, you know, when I hear comments about frustrations of, well, we don't have enough money to provide for a Women of Color Summit or, or different pieces like that, it pisses me off. Um, and so I think we need to stop listening and actually do something. Awesome. Thanks so much, Raina. Any final thoughts? No, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for sharing your viewpoint. I'm here with Lindsay Anderson, who is the Manager of Student Conduct at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome. Thank you. So Lindsay, you and I had um, a pre-conversation about kind of some of the intersectional pieces of Tim Wise's conversation with your identity as a Canadian attendee. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I mean, I thought it was a great talk, and I thought he brought up some interesting points, and you know, not things that I necessarily hadn't thought of, but just hearing it articulated in a very, I think, powerful and you know direct way was good. What it had me thinking about, and what I've been thinking a lot about when it comes to identity and uh, intersections, is just how the Canadian identity sometimes has this um, way of thinking that we're somehow positioned in a better way than the U.S. is, and yet lately we've had some really um, horrible cases of mis- of a lack of justice in our justice system when it comes to Indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. um, and particularly Indigenous uh, bodies, and like we have people that are being murdered and you know what we think are clear-cut legal cases to convict the people that are responsible and they're being overturned and juries are not finding responsibility and, and it's been really interesting to see this kind of contrast of um, you know like we think that we're so much more inclusive and we have this you know our multicultural perspective in Canada and yet we are just as uh, I think problematic in terms of how we apply our systems and our justice and colonization and so I thought Tim's talk just kind of had all that swirling in my mind in terms of being in the U.S. right now for this conference, um, seeing all the work that's being done here, which is incredible, but also contrasting that with what I see in the media and and yet knowing that Canada somehow positions itself as being, I think, superior in a lot of ways to what's happening in the U.S. And I don't, I don't believe that is a fair place for us to be coming from. So that's what I was thinking about after the talk. That's excellent um, to hear that there was kind of transcultural applicability going on. Uh, I think that's something that we think about a lot in this association with Canada being a new region for us in the last three years. How do we become more intentionally inclusive, not only about the ethnocentric lens that we tend to view social justice through here in the U.S., but also where do we share some of the challenges? Absolutely. Um, but also some of those values. So from, from your personal lens, where do you see us sharing some of those values? I mean, I think, I think, in the, especially if I want to bring it back to our work that we're doing, I think some of the social justice work is, is so applicable to both. I really do. I just think when we think of harms to, um, I, again, I think, I think about bodies. I think about um, persons of color. I think about indigenous bodies. I think about colonization across the board to all types of peoples. And so I think any work that we're doing to try and break that down and talk, even just talk about these issues. I think from a Canadian perspective, sometimes we're not even talking um, about these issues. So I think any opportunity where that talk is happening is going to help um, kind of, I think it, that that connects well to the Canadian experience and the U.S. experience. So I think breaking down any type of um, language, perspectives, um, theories and concepts, the more we can make those things that we are openly talking about is the better. Um, it's a starting point, anyway. It's always a starting point, right? So we think of social justice as a process and a journey, not a goal. Yeah. Yes. Constantly evolving. Uh, but you also mentioned that you're hearing kind of a lot of air of superiority coming from north of our, our U.S. border. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think you are doing better as a Canadian society? Oh, no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. This is, well, this is from your personal perspective, yeah, right? My so personal viewpoint. Personal viewpoint. Well, I'd, I'd say that's really tough. I think, I, I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable kind of saying that, like, we are ultimately better at this or we're better at that. I think um, we're, we don't have the same legislative requirements. And I think that gives us a bit of freedom to apply maybe when, again, bringing it back to conduct and social justice, we can use certain approaches, I think, with a bit more ease because we're not bound to certain reporting structures or legislative um, guidance. So um, I think that gives us a little bit more freedom. But at the same time, then we lack clarity and we lack um, maybe an understanding of why it is we're doing what we're doing. Um, So yeah, I don't know if there's many areas where I'd say we are absolutely better. I mean, a lot of people would say, well, look at our leader, look at our government, you know, a leader in government compared to compared to the US but 
he's not perfect and he's he's had his own challenges and I think that that's I think that that's just a bad place for us to be when we start to, to go you know we're better now that's not to say we didn't say when somebody was elected in down here we didn't all go come move to Canada we'll take you guys up here so I, I, I hesitate to say where there's a lot of areas we're doing better but we're definitely not bound by the same and and you know each province is going to look at things a little differently but there are federal things that I think um, are working for us one piece where I think we're going to need some support as an as a as a country as a region um, with ASCA is around marijuana or sorry I should say cannabis um, legislation we're, we're legalizing and none of us know what the heck to do about it and don't have the same kind of guidance in terms of how we deal with it bringing that back again I worry a lot about how we apply that to certain peoples and certain groups and historically how cannabis regulation has impacted certain groups and certain bodies and, uh, and so I'm very conscious of that as a Canadian I don't think that's a perspective that's widely shared sure. <laughs> well let's bring the conversation back down again into this micro level of ASCA so I've, I've heard from a lot of folks this year that the conversations sound different or the tone feels different for this conference than it has in the past. Okay. So what have you noticed or maybe not noticed about intentional inclusive in, intentional inclusivity in the organization this particular year? That's a good question too. I'm I mean I'm certainly hearing a lot more discussion around this idea of free speech and, and again we don't have the same legislation around that but but I think the, the situations are still happening um, so I'm definitely hearing a lot more around conversations like what's allowed to be said versus what should be said and and uh, and I'm definitely conscious of um, and I don't know if it's but like right to carry and, and those types of things have been something as a Canadian I've been thinking about uh, that I hear in conversation more than maybe I've ever heard before and so again I think we're falling back on some amendment pieces that I had realized we're very commonly talked about in the last couple of years. I've been coming to ASCA for five years. Um, so when I first started, I felt like a conversation was a lot on restorative and informal and, and other ways of dealing, like alternative ways of dealing with um, conduct. And it's shifted a little bit more to like more legislated amendment rights. Uh, it's become a bit more formalized. So, and again, I, I loop that back into the ideas of inclusion and civility because I think that the, I think it's connected. It's all, the work is very connected. So I, I think that's one shift that I've seen. Um, and, and I think starting the keynote uh, with, with such a powerful, starting the, the conference with such a powerful keynote sets the tone a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just sparked conversations that have been continuing on throughout the whole week. Excellent. Now, as you think about what ASCA could be doing better from a diversity and inclusion perspective, uh, what comes to mind for you? I, I, I'm certainly thinking about the Canadian context in terms of uh, Indigenous peoples, and it's something that we, uh, a lot of our institutions have set a priority of being more inclusive to our Indigenous peoples and really break, like, discussing colonization and how it's impacted certain groups. And I, I think that that's certainly something that we could be doing more at, at ASCA, because it's not, it's not like you don't have people here that I, you know, are identified as Indigenous, but are we representing them? Um, and so I think about that a lot. I, I think that's probably my, my, my main priorities. I, I think it, we're not doing a great job in Canada about it, but at least the conversations are happening. So if we can get that influence and support from ASC, I think that would help. Great. Thanks so much, Lindsay, for sharing your viewpoint. Thank you. I'm here today with Bonnie Taylor, who serves as the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Student Integrity at Georgia Tech, or Georgia Institute of Technology, if you want to say it the long way. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you for having me, Jill. So, Bonnie, I'm curious as to your thoughts and reflections on on our keynote speaker and how that keynote speech has kind of influenced your conference experience. So, I was definitely looking forward to him, um, you know, regardless of what the experience was in regards to the comment that he made. I also look at it as he's very passionate about... um, 
um, social justice. He's very passionate about equality. He's very passionate about inclusivity and diversity. And I think um, for him, um, I appreciate someone that can speak truth in the way that he does it. And in being really honest, um, certain individuals have to speak to certain individuals in a certain way. That's the diplomatic way I'm going to say it that way. And a lot of times it, it, it's, it's someone calling each other out on um, just the small things that they're not paying attention to, um, experiences that they are not observing, and just the blinders that a lot of folks may have on. And I, I'm not going to just aim that at one group. It's with a lot of people. Where everyone comes with a lot of different privileges. And I think his way in being able to call that out and also to reaffirm and, and to... Um, validate the experiences and those lived experiences of individuals was very just reassuring that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing in our work but also to be mindful of how we're impacting other people and how we're impacting our students and the environments that we're creating and um, just the spaces that we are now creating for our students just being mindful of those areas so it was a very good refresher it was a very good way to kick off things it created conversations I think in spaces that needed to happen um, you had some folks who may have felt slightly you know concerned um, but I think a lot of it is is that when you're uncomfortable you're changing mm -hmm. and putting people in uncomfortable places is important it's what we do we do it with our students and we expect our students to do it then we need to do it and we are not perfect um, we, we are just degreed individuals at right. this point so we need to continue to grow and I think that was a great way to kick things off so in what ways did he make you uncomfortable oh um, I think in a, a lot of those ways it's, it's saying things that I don't always feel comfortable in saying to others, not in my ethnic and racial group. So as an African-American um, person who identifies as a woman, I think that sometimes when I, I may make observations of things or talk about my lived experiences, um, you sometimes can get the dismissed, you can get the ignored, you can get the, um, you know, completely uh, just disregard of what those experiences are um, because I'm at a certain place. So I'm like, a title does not make everything okay. Um, you know, just having someone in a figurehead position doesn't make everything okay um, because I know how to handle situations and um, even more so sometimes I will just internalize those situations does not make everything in my life okay. So I think um, it, it was uncomfortable to probably see some others struggling with some of the content, but it was also reassuring to see them struggling with the content because at this point I now feel like I can go back and have those conversations. I'm like, let's talk. You know, remember when this may have been said and you didn't think anything of it? Well, I need you to pay attention to that now um, because if it made me uncomfortable and I, you know, as a person who has dealt with, you know, oppression and targeting and things of that nature, imagine being 18, mm -hmm. being in that space. So I think for me it was a little uncomfortable to watch others go through that, but it also was like, well, if I'm uncomfortable, they need to be uncomfortable. Let's all be uncomfortable about this together. So how has that uncomfortability influenced the conversations that you've had this week? Oh, definitely. Um, I think people feel more open. They feel more open to talk. Um, they feel more open to be educated. They feel more open to um, want to learn. And for me, it, it turned out to be positive, at least with whom I'm speaking to. I'm not going to you know, reflect that on every single person that was at this conference, but for the individuals that I spoke to, um, it, it, it helped to have a space to talk about that because you could state, well, when he was speaking about this, you don't necessarily have to drop the bombshell, you know, of bringing it up on your own. So it was, um, it was a much needed conversation starter and I appreciated that. Excellent. So thinking about, you know, Tim Wise was really talking to us about macro levels of oppression and privilege, but in our association, you know, we often have replicated systemic structures because we have not really learned another way to do things in a lot of times. So in what ways do you think that ASCA is 
needing to improve in our own cultural humility and engagement with social justice? Um, I think it's it's getting um, it's getting the unknown involved. Mm-hmm. And when I say the unknown, it's people who may not necessarily have the titles that we would consider at the the level to be in the leadership positions and things of that nature. It's really getting those other individuals involved. It's about having those conversations with individuals that you are not familiar with um, to find out you know where those ideas are. Having those conversations with the membership on what they want, um, I, I think, is the first step to doing that. Um, looking at our structures, you know, it is is how our board structure currently reflective of where we want to be. So do we need to add positions? Do we need to remove positions? Do we need to revamp some positions so that it truly is modeling um, that vision that we have for our association? And when I talk about that, you know, looking at the restructure part of that one, it's just making sure that it's meeting the needs of the membership. Um, you know, we have, we've made several comments of how it's no longer a 400 person organization. You know, we're almost 3,500 people a lot of people to appease but at the same time it's a lot of different areas that we need to address and to provide information for we're, we're the only association of this kind Definitely. for this very niche work so we need to be able to provide the content and foundational information but also address social justice issues because the beauty of it is our society is now finally recognizing that we have an issue mm-hmm. so how are we going to address this and we can address it through our work we have a very special um, you know responsibility but also we have a very uh, just just special time in life where we can address some of these issues through our work and that puts us on a different stage and a different platform that we can utilize what we do in student affairs and student development to help address some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Now we know that the association has a lot of space to grow but also where do you think we're doing well? Creating new avenues uh, for information, creating new ways to provide content, um, I think has been amazing to watch, definitely. Um, the content that we are providing is revamping and, rechang- and changing. It's not just you know going back to the, the book basics of student conduct work. It's helping our new professionals and our seasoned professionals to find new ways to do things, our new professionals to incorporate all of the new things that are in student affairs and where we are as a society. Where we are right now in conduct is completely different than where we were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I can't rely on the things that I did 10 years ago You know, when I was first getting into the field to sustain me right now. I need different methods and different ways and I think that we're innovating on how to do that and the ways that we're delivering the content and what we're delivering. So I think that part for me is is, is been amazing to watch Um, and and the growth we've gone from something that's much smaller to 3,500 people that's huge for us you know for other for Nashville I'm sure that's not a big deal (laughs) you know for conduct officers that's a very large contingent of information and support and community so um, just managing that growth I think has been has been an amazing thing to watch over the years excellent thanks so much Bonnie for sharing your viewpoint anytime thank you for having me I'm here with Christina Liang, who is the Associate Judicial Administrator at Cornell University, and she's also the incoming treasurer to the Board of Directors. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. So, Christina, what are your thoughts and take on our Tim Wise keynote speech, and how has that influenced your conference experience? Sure. So, I've been to uh, the past couple of conferences, and this is one of the keynote speakers who I think have really pushed the boundaries of the association in terms of making people feel uncomfortable and uncomfortable together, which I think is really powerful because folks understand the feeling of being uncomfortable alone, Mm -hmm. but when you're having that shared experience, it makes it a little bit more digestible and manageable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in what ways did he make you feel uncomfortable? Well, I think he said a lot of things that a lot of folks are thinking 
but are uncomfortable with saying aloud for a multitude of reasons, whether it's just personal discomfort, uh, you know, concerns about retaliation or concerns that it's not going to be well received at all. Um, I think those are some of the things that people really experience there. Yeah. And how is the overall messaging and, and tone of that keynote speech influenced your conference experience in general? Sure. Well, I'm on the conference committee, so I mean, part of my responsibility is to make sure everyone is enjoying their conference experience, whether it be the concurrent sessions or the conversations are um, reflective of our association's mission. And so I attended some of our follow-up sessions based Mm -hmm. on Tim Weiss's speech, and um, I really appreciated the shared experience, like I said, because um, people are able to use that as um, an opportunity to engage with folks, maybe folks they wouldn't normally engage with. And so that shared experience has been um, a good way to encourage conversations to continue Mm -hmm. after the keynote. And I hope that those continue past the conference too. I do too. I think that's really important for our association because our association is so much more than just being here for right. five mm-hmm. days every year, right. um, which I do love, and I know that everyone who comes loves, but um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are your ideas in terms of how we continue this conversation forward, not only mm-hmm. on the board of directors meeting room, but th- through our membership? I think we need to be particularly intentional and authentic in um, soliciting the talent within the association. So the folks we're tapping to engage in our programming, our webinars, um, those are the, you know, bringing those folks into the picture, the folks who are not here right now, who didn't get a chance to hear about Tim Weiss. Um, those are the folks who um, we really need to tap into their talent to educate each other on some mm-hmm. of the issues that Tim Weiss talked about. Because we know that only a third of our members are here. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that means there's two thirds of our members who missed out on this very common experience um, right. that it feels different this year to me. It feels like the conference has really bonded um, conduct officers around the globe this year. We have attendees from a couple of different countries. And so I'm just wondering how you're kind of internalizing that and what you hope to do with it. Well, I'm fortunate enough to be able to serve on the board this year. So I definitely will continue those conversations both in the boardroom and at my home institution. Um, I think the Specifically, I think the state coordinators can play a really key role in this because they really are, um, they were really well attended from what I observed. And so those conversations happened after Tim Weiss, and I see them as really um, great educators to inform their state constituencies and um, to encourage folks who maybe don't attend the conference and normally don't get too involved with more national events or regional events um, to share what information and specialties they have. You mentioned earlier that you felt that people were having conversations they wouldn't ordinarily feel empowered to have Mm. um, as you're kind of walking through, uh, not to share anyone else's story, but what are the nature of those conversations that you're hearing? Sure. So I've heard a lot of folks uh, just digest some of the potentially triggering things that Tim Weiss talked about um, in issues of identity and intersectionality, how that impacts their day-to-day work um, and how that impacts their professional growth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, there's been a lot of good conversations about seeking mentors who um, are folks that people are comfortable using as mentors, people they can relate to, Mm -hmm. um, as well as folks that they feel maybe aren't as approachable, but now they have an opportunity to better engage with them. Um, because of these shared experiences. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think our profession has always been one that's been bonded by being uncomfortable just in general, um, given that there's so many of us that are alone on our campuses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just think this is a great way that we've found a different connection point for all of those things. 
Absolutely, and it's just a start. So, like I said, I I really have been encouraging folks um, to continue those conversations. I think it will. I'm very optimistic about that. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on Tim Wise or the diversity and inclusion efforts that the association is currently making? Um, I would say just a plug, just a little plug, is that the um, com- the board has been working on those three webinars uh, revolving diversity and inclusion, and the first one was very well received on cultural humility. And my understanding is the second one is coming out late March, early April, mm-hmm. and then the last one is coming out in the summer, late late spring, summer. So yeah. look out for those. And they're free. Yes, so free. Very free important. Free ProDevo. We're just going to say that again. Free, free. professional <laughs> development. Yes. Well, thanks so much, Christina, yeah. for sharing your viewpoint. Thank you. Next week on the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, we welcome Regina Curran, JD. Regina currently serves as the Title IX Program Officer at American University in Washington, D.C. Regina will be talking to us about JD's and student conduct, but also her Title IX work, and we're going to speak a lot about intersectionality of identity. I hope you come back and join us. This episode was produced and hosted by Jill Creighton, that's me, produced, edited, and mixed by Colleen Mater. Special thanks to New York University's Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards and to the University of Oregon's Dean of Students team for allowing us the time and space to create this project. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you please like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and helps us become more visible in the general podcasting community. If you have suggestions for future guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at ASCA Podcast or by email at ASCA Podcast at gmail.com.